Hello and welcome to Eremus Soccer. Uh, today's episode dedicated to helping young goalkeepers. Um, we have a man who has seen almost every level of the American game uh, through a young goalkeeper's eyes, Mr. Jack Pondy. Welcome, Jack. That hey. is, uh, looks a bit different, but I promise you that majestic beard is Jack. And Jack played youth, youth soccer in South Carolina. We ended up going to play at UConn. We transferred to Winthrop. Uh, we played some UPSL ball. We signed pro for USL Championship Charleston Battery. Ended up as the starting goalkeeper at Pro Team Savannah Clovers. So I like that journey because a young goalkeeper listening today, we can talk about youth to college. We can talk about transfer portal experience. This is a time of year where lots of keepers are going through that. We can talk about the transition from college to pro. And from someone who's been there and done it firsthand, you know, there's a lot of opinions around and there's a lot of advice given. But I think you're in a very unique position, Jack, because you have very recently lived what these keepers are going through. So do you want to just fill in a little bit on the journey there? Is there any parts I missed out or is that uh, pretty much your road in the game so far? No, no, you got all of the uh, the plethora of stops that we had. Um, yeah, definitely a not typical journey, but yep, that's all we got. It's another reason I like your journey, though. You know, usually a 15, 16-year-old keeper, I want to go to a Power 5 school and I want to go to the MLS and then I want to stay there in the MLS. It's, it's not quite how life works, isn't it? I... Lots of people want the end road of being pro, but the actual road to being pro, I've, I've personally coached D3, D2, D1, USL2, NPSL, NISA. It is a winding road. It involves moving. It involves rejection. It involves, you know, get, going, maybe going to the college you want to, maybe not going to the college you want to. Maybe like yourself, getting to the college you wanted and realizing that somewhere else, you've got to be able to pivot and readjust and survive and perform in lots of different environments if you really want to make it to the top of the game. So to start off, tell me a little bit about your recruiting journey. We're playing in South Carolina, and I want you to present this through the lens of a young goalkeeper playing youth soccer now who wants to go to a school like UConn, which, you know, now it's a Big East Power Five. It spent some time outside the Big East. I think UConn was still perceived as a Power Five program, whether or not it was in the Big East. How did we get from South Carolina youth to UConn? What did that road look like, Jack? Yeah, so it was um, especially difficult in South Carolina. Um, so our club season for um, like youth club is in the uh, fall. and most states, it's in the spring. So during like college season, we're playing our clubs, uh, our club season, and then high school's in the, in the spring, and nobody really comes to see high school games. Um, from a college coaching perspective. Um, so it was a little bit more difficult for me. I had to kind of reach out um, a little bit more out of out of the typical boundaries. Um, and so I, I had some connections with a, a coach up in um, NDC, Virginia area, um, Ed Brown, and he had a goalkeeping um, like school, you know, goalkeeping school, and they had uh, camps every every summer and I'd go up for trainings every once in a while. And so he had a lot of connections um, and basically through those connections with um, Ed and me going to a bunch of ID camps, it's really, you know, feet on the ground, showing up, you know, sending out some emails to people, following up. And then um, really a lot of it was just going to ID camps, showing yourself and then 
um, ideally having somebody that knows you before you go there. Um, like with, I had at UConn, um, you know, had a call before going up to the ID camp there. Um, and so they knew me coming in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot about the, the networking and the connections. Um, and so for me, I had to really lean on, on, on that, um, for more ID camps because my club games weren't really ever going to be watched by many of the soccer or the um, college coaches. I think that's a good one because we're in a world where the MLS next clubs and then maybe the ECNL below gets on the men's side, at least gets the, uh, gets the profile. And I think what's misunderstood is that is the most common way. It doesn't mean it's the only way. Right, Not everyone goes the traditional route. Not everyone in the MLS next ends up where they want to be. I think it's a lot of people are disingenuous and they try to say with absolute this works and that works and this doesn't work and that doesn't work. I see it more as percentages. You know, With the MLS Academy, if you were to play, be playing for Atlanta United, are you more likely to be exposed? Yes. Does that mean the Atlanta United goalkeeper gets to a school before you do if you're a better player? No. But two things you've mentioned there connections and they do matter you know a lot of people you got to take i'm taking the marketing off here i've worked for recruiting agencies myself right so i'm gonna not say this as marketing just as fact a connection is a connection maybe it's one you paid for because it's high level maybe it's someone like ed brown that you train with that you know maybe it's your current coach but just make sure you have some kind of connection because i'm a big believer in id camps having been a college coach but mm -hmm. Overwhelm is a thing. And if you are looking at 120 kids in three days, nobody truly believes you can ac accurately scout 120 kids in three days. So one of two things. One is the kid is just that good that you probably, in my experience, get two or three out of 120, which is that good that they can't be missed. And the other one is there is an advantage to them knowing who you are. And I'd say to any parents and families listening, before you spend the time and the money in an ID camp, do you have a connection there? Is this a gamble? I.e., we're going to a gigantic school where there's going to be 300 kids and we cross our fingers and we hope we're in that top one, top 2%. Or is it an investment where we've farmed a relationship, it's went back and forth both ways, and now we're putting the money into the increased exposure of the ID camp and now the decision? That sounds to me like that's what happened to you at UConn, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you know, you preface it by sending some videos and and knowing, but especially for goalkeeping, um, you know, it's 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 all about consistency. It's a lot harder to really wow the coaches and have that shining player at an ID camp with 150 players when you're a goalkeeper. Um, you know, it's it's all defense. You're only going to get what is given to you too. You know, if, if you're getting shots just right at you all the time it's you know, it's not going to look good as as you know quality strikes you're making quality saves yeah. um so yeah it's it, it's definitely different as a goalkeeper too i always say a key part for keepers is engagement because it's ironically harder in a way for keepers on good teams and i remember one of the best things i ever learned in college was when the ball's 50 to 30 yards away that's what you call your coaching range where as a keeper you can now say oh are the center backs marking are the fullbacks marking? Do we have runners coming from centre mid? And if the ball's 50 to 30 yards away, we can now coach the team and they can adjust and we might be able to cut the tax off at the root. And I made that a game in my own head because I had a couple of seasons on a good team where how many attacks can we sort of cut off in that area? The irony of human nature is when the ball's 20, 10 yards away, 
you have more to say. No one's listening anymore. We're not making adjustments to who we're marking 10 yards out. The house is on fire. We're pressing, we're tackling, we're blocking. So I think it's important for keepers of good teams to really use that window of the field past halfway to arrange their team and um, sort of organize the team. Uh, I had, you know, we played against you in the Michigan Stars. I had Tatenda, who was absolutely great at that. And we're going to get into now standing out because a, a lot of people, they overemphasize the networking aspect of the recruiting game. And it is part of the game, but you have to be good. You know, yep. you're not just going to know someone and then you play for UConn. You're not just going to pay a recruiting firm and now you play for UConn. You have to stand out on the field. Now, one way is neon pink jersey and majestic beard. <laughs> but there's other <laughs> ways, right? So yep. I want you to give advice through the eyes of a professionally experienced goalkeeper in three areas. Shot-stopping, mindset, distribution. I believe they are three key areas where keepers are evaluated. And so if, a, if there's a young goalkeeper listening to this high school age and you were going to give them a tip or two in terms of shot-stopping through your experience and things that you've learned, what, what is the most advice that you'd give? Um, positioning is, is for shot stopping positioning is, is the most important. Um, I mean, some of the, the smaller parts being physically able to make the saves and working on that, you know, to increase your, your explosiveness, but being in the right spot is 80%, 90% of it. Um, so really working on drills where you're not just standing in one spot and then they're taking a shot from one angle, like the ball's moving around all the time. So you got to work on being in the center of the goal relative to where you are. Uh, or rel relative to where the ball is and then working that as the ball moves around. Um, so for me, it's, it, it's always been positioning. That's where I felt that I've always like excelled um, is being in the right position, how far forward or backward you can be with how big you are. Um, so that's the, the main thing. Um, and then the, the smaller skills feed off of that and make that extra little cherry on top, but you got to get the positioning down or else you got nothing. Yeah mindset of a keeper now i think it's important to distinguish that there's not one way to succeed here i have coached some outstanding keepers who have almost a back foot personality and their other whole thing is i'm protecting i'm on the back foot i'm under siege and that's their thing i have coached goalkeepers who are tremendously aggressive um i believe the way is to suit your personality i believe in a position like goalkeeper where Less than a second can be the difference between a player made and a goal conceded. Trying to be somebody else and not playing to your personality and your spirit is a, is a shortcut to failure. But in your experience, what has worked for you in terms of mindset in what is a pretty lonely, isolated position on the field sometimes? Yeah, I mean, really, my biggest uh, quote that I always tell myself is, failure is the best teacher. You have to take the failures because you're, you're going to get scored on. You're going to fail. There's going to be bad things. We have to be able to analyze it and try to improve for the next one. Um, so generally, the mindset being that, you know, you, you have to learn from your failures. You have to look at it and not say, oh, man, I suck. It's like, all right, how can I be better next time? Um, it's a long journey. You're not going to be perfect the first day. Um, and then specifically for like in-game decision making, um, it's really knowing yourself and then being confident in your own abilities. Um, don't let 
any other players, the coaches, they, they're, they don't have the, uh, they, they don't have to defend themselves when something happens. You, you have to be able to say, Hey, I did this because of that. You can't say, Oh, I did this because my coach told me to do this. You have to, you have to have that, that, um, accountability in yourself. And so learning that, um, taking the practice and trying to find your, your boundaries, see how far you can go, you know, a through ball coming in, test yourself during training, test yourself during practice, and then be as conservative as you feel you should be in a game. Um, it's really finding the testing those boundaries during training allows you to have that confidence in that decision-making in the game, whether it's going out or staying in, you have the practice and the reps in your brain to make that decision confidently and be able to say, Hey, this is why I did this um, to anybody who's talking to you. Yeah. Very good. Uh, distribution. It's, it's a hot topic nowadays. Um, I believe there is a hole in youth coaching in the area of distribution and that hole comes with extremism. It's the world we're living in now. You have to, you have to pick a side, you have to play long or short. You have to be this or that. There is no room for in between. I see the goalkeeper the same way I'd see an NFL quarterback. And if an NFL quarterback looked at a receiver running a slant three yards deep that was double covered and threw the ball there, that is a bad decision. And he would never turn around and say, but I was trying to build, coach. I was trying to play short. A bad decision is a bad decision. I believe I'm seeing keepers make bad decisions. Play Even some high-level keepers, by the way. Playing to fullbacks under pressure. A five-man press playing into it. Playing to double covered and almost giving themselves a get-out-of-jail-free card because that's the way we play. I don't believe there should ever be a way we play at the expense of the build. And what I mean by that is if we play against a team and they press five men and our fullbacks are tightly marked, our centre-backs are tightly marked, it's the responsibility of the goalkeeper to complete a longer pass to take those four or five people out the game and give his teammate a chance to succeed. To play into the jaws of that press, I don't believe is as noble as some people make out. I believe if a team backs off and now we have the opportunity to build, the keeper should recognise that and play to where the pressure isn't. So the keeper is, for me, the keeper's making the decisions in the same way a central midfielder would make the decisions. I believe we're teaching almost keepers to be one-dimensional. Either you've got to send it or you've got to hit the fullbacks. I've actually been a college coach and said, what do you want me to do when they get the ball? How are you asking me now? Like, where's the defenders? Where's your teammates? You can't decide before you even look at the picture where to send the ball, but I do think some keepers are. And I don't think it's helping them. So, you know, you, you've played top end of D1. You've played professionally. You've played elite amateur. You've played youth. Tell me your thoughts and what's worked for you in terms of distribution and some things you've maybe had to learn and evolve as you've went up the levels of the game. Yeah. Um, so it's really a lot of it is knowing, like you're saying, reading the game and what it's giving you currently, but then also being able to understand who's around you and what they can do. Um, so if you want to build out of the back and you have two center backs that aren't great with their feet, but defend well, it's going to be a lot harder for you to play those those shorter balls just by knowing, uh, you know, the personnel around you. And then that changes um, as you as you go up from when I when I was in UPSL and semi pro. Um, you know, we try to build out sometimes, most of the time, you know, we didn't have the, the chemistry and the skill to really keep the ball 
every time. And so we, you know, we're, we're losing the ball. So now I'm playing further a lot more. I'm, I'm just kicking it long or trying to find a space in behind. Um, whereas when I got to the battery in the USL championship, it was, you know, 85, 90% of the time I'm giving the ball short and they have the time, they have the ability to deal with pressure that I might think is pressure that I shouldn't give to him, but it, it, it made me, you know, um, kind of up my game of playing short and, and having the confidence of, okay, I know that if I give this, this guy a ball, he's going to be able to make the decision and get the ball out of his feet a lot quicker. So the pressure that in UPSL, I might've been hesitant to play the ball short. Um, that same distance of pressure is totally fine in the USL championship. Um, so a lot of it is, is reading, you know, your personnel and then also what the field is giving you at the current time. And then, you know, being able to, uh, like I said, defend yourself in those decisions. Um, you got to know what your ability is and what the ability is around you and then find those pockets and worst case scenario, you huck it long, you know, you can defend that rather than your worst case scenario. Oh, I'm going to give somebody short and now they're right back down your throat in the middle of the field. Um, so those are, those, those are my, my ideologies on it. Now you had an experience in college that was, I think not uncommon, you know, you were, you made your decision to go to UConn, which I'm sure at the time was tremendously exciting. Uh, you decide, you figure out and decide at some point that UConn's not where you want to be for four years. And we end up in the transfer portal. I don't believe the transfer portal is failure. You know, I see a lot of adults being a little judgmental of kids in the transfer portal and like, show me your resume. Show me how many jobs you were in for four years. You know, we're not, we're, we're yeah. not a species that just sees out almost half a decade. If we're not developing, you have to, as a human, beyond a player, feel like you're evolving, feel like you're moving in the right direction. And obviously, at some point at UConn, it stopped feeling like that, and you decided to enter the transfer portal. Um, for anyone listening in that experience, you know what, what lessons did you learn and talk? Because you've come out the right end, now you're a pro keeper. Uh, talk to us about that experience. When did we realize UConn was maybe the wrong decision and why? What was the logistics of the portal experience like? And were you happy after the transfer? Yeah, so um, I knew about three days into preseason about UConn. Um, so when I went to the ID camp and got recruited and talked to the assistant coach um, that was there currently in the spring, um, the impression and what he told me was that they were bringing me and then one other freshman and they had a, a senior and a fifth year senior or a junior and a fifth year senior that were already there. So we're looking at four keepers. Um, and I get there and they brought in four freshmen. Um, so now we're looking at six goalkeepers. And then on day three of preseason, they made a scrimmage and set number one and number two. I didn't make it into, into number two. And so from then on, it was just one and two doing training. They would get all the reps. And then the other four goalkeepers would, we'd literally ball boy and we'd run like AR on the sideline. Um, so for like that situation specifically, I knew pretty early on, all right, I'm not going to be here for the two or three years that I thought when I made this plan. Um, so from that point, it was really just, all right, put my head down, try and get as much as I can out of the training when I am in training um, and then start to look elsewhere. Um, I so think what you just said is very powerful there because I feel like when someone enters a negative situation 
especially at, without being condescending, you know, that college freshman age when you're a little younger, probably emotion rules a little more than logic. You mm-hmm. try and make the situation what you want it to be. But sometimes the key to success in life is recognizing that, yes, the situation isn't what I want it to be, but the answer is not to start acting out. The answer is not to start dividing this team, submarining the locker room, you know, being completely selfish. If you can develop the skill to be in a scenario that's not ideal, put your head down and work anywhere, look at you. You're playing pro games and it's a long way from being an AR in a practice scrimmage, right? I I believe some kids will kick and scream and shout and do all they can to make this better right now. And sometimes that's just going to make it worse. Sometimes that D1 to D1 transfer, which you got, will turn into a D1 to D3 or a D1 to D2. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it will because of attitude and the relationships that start to deteriorate. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that's one of the like pivotal parts of being a goalkeeper. Um, what coaches look for is consistency and um, level-headedness, really. Um, you know, the mindset, strong mindset. Um, and so if you take a bad situation and you react to it poorly, what's going to happen when you're thrown in a game and a goal gets scored in the first five minutes? Now we got 85 minutes of Pondy being emotional and not doing the right things. Um, so those are the things that, like, it's really, as a goalkeeper – it's it's a long journey and it's about the consist- the consistency um so it's it's really if the if the coaches see you deal with adversity put your head down work try and get the best out of it work to improve progress that's what they look for in goalkeepers is the consistency and the mindset of all right whatever happened that's behind me i'll learn from it but i won't dwell on it and i'll move forward yeah brilliant were you happy after the transfer, Jack? Um, I was happier with my life um, outside of soccer. I was a lot closer to home, um, so that that helped. Um, but I went into another situation um, with the coaching just not being ideal. Um, I went in, and I was happy the first semester. We had a great goalkeeper coach, um, or the first year. He was amazing. I learned a lot from him. But then he transferred out and went to his alma mater. And from there, it it was just downhill. Um, you know, I was at trainings and it felt like I was getting worse. You know, I was progressively just going downhill with my training, even with the mindset of, all right, I'm trying to get as much as I can. Um, but it just wasn't it wasn't working for me. Well, he's um, the fact that I really like, to be honest with you, as much as it's not the ideal experience, I believe it is a more common experience than... Andre Blake goes to UConn, draft yep. pick, superstar, right? That's nice. But here we've had a transfer. It's still not ideal, yet we have got to the pro game. Yep. Talk to me about the journey from a college situation where it's obviously not a bad situation, but it's not ideal. But we're not going to draft. We're not going to Europe like Matt Turner. We're just chasing the dream and want to be pro and want to put ourselves in a position to keep evolving as a goalkeeper. Well, what was the road like from graduation to pro? I believe Charleston Battery was the first pro team, was it? Yeah, yep. Charleston Battery was the first pro team. Um, Which for anyone listening is USL Championship second tier. Yep. And um, for me, it was all about trying to do what was best for me and my game. Um, And so... 
when I started to realize when when the goalkeeper coach uh, Winthrop left and the new, the new guy wasn't wasn't doing it for me, um, I had to look elsewhere. So I got a call from a semi-pro UPSL team in my hometown, Columbia, South Carolina, and said, hey, you know, we want you to try out. We want you to come down here. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'll head back to college, see what, how it goes this next semester, but I'll keep you in the back of the mind. And if I can get good quality training and games in, then maybe that's a better option. So I went through the fall and it wasn't working out. I wasn't getting games. I wasn't, um, you know, progressing. And so after that semester, I went home and played with the UPSL team. Um, they had a better training environment. They, I was getting game time, which as a goalkeeper, that's the most important thing. You can train as, as much as you want, but coaches care about games. Coaches care about decisions making, decision making in games. And so it was about the game time for me. Um, and so I did the semi-pro for about two years, um, got the first team all UPSL the second year, um, made it to the final fours, lost in the semis. Um, so I made myself a name in UPSL. And then one of the other coaches that was in Charleston uh, noticed and invited me to preseason in 2021 to the battery after one of their keepers got an injury. So it was it was literally I was sitting on my couch at Wednesday at, you know, 3 p.m. Got a call. Oh, it's from Charleston. Hmm. Oh, hey, it's Mike Anhauser. We're seeing if you can come to training tomorrow. Oh, what time? 10 a.m. All right. I'll be there. Now, so, what I like about that. Everyone wants that call, right? And it seems random, but that call only comes because we grind it out at UConn. That call only comes because we grind it out at Winthrop. That call only comes because we play UPSL and don't think we're too good for UPSL and we're either playing pro or we're not going to play. That call comes because we love goalkeeping and we continually put ourselves in the life situation that when that call is going to be made, we're the guy they'll call. I, th I think that's an important lesson for kids. You know, some yeah. people don't only, I've had people tell me, I only want to go pro if it's MLS. Silly. You know, I, I only want to play college if it's power five. Silly. You know, go through, walk through the doors that are open for you by God or whatever you believe it is and go make the most of it as you continue to do. Um, what's the differences, Jack? We get there, we arrive at Charleston. You've played four years of college ball now. There must be one or two major differences between college and pro. What were they? Yeah, so mainly the speed. Um, I, I always say as the as the levels progress, the game just gets faster. It's the same game, but everything's faster. The touches are cleaner, so the ball gets in and out quicker. All the players are more athletic, so they get you know they press quicker. Everything speeds up, um, and so that's a big adjustment. Um, and then really the mindset and training of accountability to each other. Once you go pro, it is everybody's job. There's nothing else. There's no distractions. There's no, oh, you know, I got to go to work later. Or, oh, I'm this and that. Like you're in there full time. And so everybody's job is on the line too. So there's accountability between the players at every training session. And that just heightens up the, the competitiveness and the focus to really improve. Um, those are two big differences for me. Good. Good. It's good info. Now, when you went pro, you're on the bench for a long time, maybe even a year before you start your first pro game. So that is a question of can we continue to work and evolve without the immediate gratification and, frankly, the confidence and the belief of a start? How do we keep going from game to game? Because as people listening to this, 
They're on the bench in college. They're on the bench in their first pro career. Maybe the contract's running out. They're worried it'll get renewed. Maybe they're third string, fourth string. So games seem far away. How do we keep going, Jack? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Um, it's tough. But what what did it for me? And and you know, it was a little bit of outside help from my uh, my goalkeeper coach down at the battery. You know, I was I was had my head down the first couple of months. I felt like I wasn't up to par with with what you know I expected out of myself and this environment. And he pulled me aside. I was like, "Hey, man, you're here for a reason. We didn't pick you because we didn't think you were going to play ever. Like, you're not here just as another body. We picked you for a reason. I think me and the head coach believe that you have the potential to do this. It's up to you to put your head down, have that mindset." And, you know, show up to work every day trying to get as better as you can. Um, and so, you know, it took it took somebody else telling me that. But it's just as easy as telling yourself that, you know, every day, um, you know, once you're once you're on the team, second, third, fourth string, whatever it is, there's a plan for you. You're not just there. They're not wasting a roster spot just to have somebody there. If they wanted somebody to be, you know, cannon fodder for the the um, the striking drills. You can get anybody to do that. You're there for a reason. It might not be for today, tomorrow, the next week, the next year, but there is potential there. There is a purpose. And you have to put your head down and say, all right, somebody's believed in me. I have to believe in myself and continue to move forward. Yeah, good stuff. Now, what I think is the most beautiful part of your journey is I've seen you play for Savannah. And it's a beautiful place, beautiful weather. Two, three thousand people in the crowd. Drums are going, scarfs are going, swinging around the heads. I can think of a hundred thousand youth goalkeepers who would watch you in that environment, and they now want to be Jack Pondy. But do they want to run AR in a scrimmage? Do they want to be on the bench for you? Do they want to play UPSL out of college before any pro opportunities comes? This is the journey that you have to be willing to go on, and this is why it's not just a cliche that you have to love the game. Because there's lots of times where it seems like you're only doing something with the faith and belief that you'll get somewhere higher. And you've been doing that for years, Jack. So I, I believe that, you know, again, we all want to be David De Gea. We all want to be Andre Blake. We all want to be Matt Turner. But I think there is more people that if they're going to make it at all, frankly, most people won't make it at all. But of that very small percentage you do, I think your story is more relatable and more real and more applicable then, you know, I went to insert school here. I got drafted in the first two rounds. I got my big contract and then I played in World Cups. It's Everybody should aspire to that, but we can't live in a world where if you don't get that, you stop functioning now. You stop playing. You give up. That's that's not the way to go, especially not as, as a keeper when entire teams tend to rely on you on given moments of the game. So I think you should be very proud of yourself. I think your story is far from the end here. We're just adding chapters. But right now, if you could go back to high school senior Jack Pondy and give him some advice that maybe helps somebody listening, what would you what would you say to him? Um, I think the coaches are the biggest factor in um, your playing career, um, at least in college, especially in college. Um, if you have a, a bad coach, it takes. training when something goes wrong um so i would focus more on a good goalkeeper coach that's the most important thing to me um 
make sure that there's a good goalkeeper coach at UConn. We had a field player, a, a you know, old field player that had just happened on the goalkeeper coach job. He did nothing for me. Yeah, I, so, I think that's important because sometimes head coaches look very good, but the reality is every single day for a third of the session, you're going to be with the goalkeeper coach. And your strongest relationship is going to be the goalkeeper coach. And I've seen schools with excellent goalkeeper coaches. I've seen schools where the keepers train themselves. And then they join in the 11 v 11 where the head coach has been all along. I've seen, you know, yeah, I, th I think beyond just the staff, what is the coaching of the goalkeepers like is a very important question that should be asked. Um, and if you go on your official visit, I would argue for the goalkeeper, going to watch a training session is more important than going to watch a game. Because we all know how keepers are coached in games. But how keepers are coached day-to-day -day in a midweek on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which is probably the core of your development. Because the games show where you developed, you know, but, like, you need that training in the week. The day before mm -hmm. the game where a lot of visits fall, they're only doing walkthroughs and set plays. If you can see a midweek training session and analyze how the keepers are practicing, that I, th I, I personally believe is a more important aspect in the game. No one's going to not enjoy the games if they're the starting goalkeeper and they're winning. Lots of people are going to feel restricted by the day-to-day -day training. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's and 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 he's the one making all the decisions too. Uh, most head coaches, you know, most head coaches are going to defer to the goalkeeper coach for any decisions. You know, they're like, "Hey, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know anything about goalkeeping. I'm going to let you decide." And so that's really who is your coach? Um, is a goalkeeper coach? So yeah. All right. Jack, really appreciate your time. Thank you, come on, thank you for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope this is of a help and uh, maybe even inspiration for some young players listening. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Stu.